The presenting sponsor of Sober Stories is Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits. With over 17 spirits, five premixed cocktails, and one spectacular sparkling wine, all without alcohol, Liars has become the Sober Stories team's standard for zero-proof drinks that feel festive and celebratory. I've got our community and ops lead, Callie, here today. Callie, I know you're taking a break from alcohol right now. Oh, yeah, I am. I'll tell you what. I just got to the point where no matter how much I drank, no matter what it was, I would wake up the next day with a headache and I'm just... I'm not about that life. I just mm. can't do it anymore. We're too yeah. busy. We are too busy. And I know when you first cut out alcohol, it can feel like there's pretty much just sparkling water to drink. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like sparkling water or like soda water with bitters. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would put money on the fact that Liars is going to help you recreate all your old standards. Tell me what you're missing. Ooh, okay. Uh, all right. So like summer's coming up, right? Mm-hmm, I am mm-hmm. so ready for that sun. And I am so ready to sit out on the deck, soak in that little vitamin D, and drink a Paloma. Oh, yes. We have the ruby red grapefruit here, so it like makes your oh, Paloma yeah. so much better. But mm-hmm. Lyra's got you. Go for the Agave Blanco. It's one of their two tequila alternatives. Oh, that's dope that they have two alternatives two. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. What else? Oh, like a gin and tonic. You know, when mm. you're just like hitting up a dive bar or something with your buds, being able to just drink a gin and tonic easy. Everyone knows how to make them, you know? I mean, I can't – Remember the last time I was in a dive bar? But yeah, sure. We'll go with it. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I like yeah. pool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't remember the last dive bar I was in, but we've got you covered still. We have two different gin alternatives. They have the pink London spirit or the dry London spirit. So if you want oh like gosh. a little pink pink gin and tonic, we got you. Oh, you know that. I love a, I love an aesthetic moment. Aesthetic. Okay. What else? Oh, you know what? I also have it out here just like I love a mojito as well. Mm. Get that like nice herby, the like just so mint forward. Mint forward. Yeah. I'm gonna put that as my tagline <laughs> in my bio. Mint forward. <laughs> Sassing a little mint forward. Yeah. Yeah. But we've got you. Liars has a white cane spirit. It's got this great little monkey on the bottle because all of their bottles have like the animal of the place where they came from. That's so fun. Yeah, they got you. Liars is into recreating and recreating well as many non-alcoholic spirits as possible. So Callie mm-hmm. and anyone listening to this, head over to liars.com and use code sober stories 1010. That's the number 10, the word 10 for 10% off your purchase. Liars gives you the freedom to drink your way, to not just provide an alternative to those who don't wish to imbibe alcohol, but to ensure that everyone like Callie mm-hmm. can enjoy the mirth and the merriment of a soiree or shindig. Welcome to Sober Stories, a podcast dedicated to the power and change that can come from really, really great storytelling. We believe that stories are a massively transformational medium. When we can see ourselves in someone's story, when we share our own story, that's when the magic happens. Here, we tell stories of folks all across the sober spectrum with hope, honesty, inspiration, and probably a few sparkling water jokes. I'm your host, Beth Bowen, and it's a huge honor to be chief story steward around here. With our guests, we pull back the curtain on the good, the bad, and sometimes the downright ugly of what it looks like to ditch the booze, changing the world one podcast episode at a time. Y'all ready? In honor of Pride Month this June, we're bringing you a month's worth of sober stories highlighting the beautiful spectrum of folks in the LGBTQIA community. The data tells us that this community experiences higher rates of mental health and substance use challenges. According to the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, conducted by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, compared to those who identify as heterosexual, those who identify as gay or lesbian are two times more likely to experience substance use disorder, those who identify as bisexual are three times more likely to experience substance use disorder, and those who are unsure how to identify their sexual identity are five times more likely to experience substance use disorder. And we know that the increase in alcohol use during the pandemic has also disproportionately impacted the LGBTQIA plus community, a 32% increase versus the 14% increase in the U.S. population at large. Though we know the data, the way alcohol impacts this vibrant community, we choose to celebrate this month. The diversity, the beauty, and the really, really good storytelling. Join us in celebrating Pride this month and every month, and let's tell good stories. Hey, Sober Stories family. Welcome back to another episode of our show. I think our team just about died when we got confirmation that our next guest would be joining us on the podcast. Any of you Drag Race fans out there are in for a treat today. I had the complete joy of interviewing Ed Popel, stage name Mrs. Kasha Davis, of RuPaul Drag Races Season 7. Known for her tagline, there's always time for a cocktail, Mrs. Davis is a 60s queen of the cul-de-sac and now celebrates nearly seven years of sobriety. Offstage, Ed shares a happy home with his husband of 20 years, Steve, aka Mr. Davis, their dog Max, and their kids. 
And in exciting news, the life of Ed and Mrs. Kasha Davis is featured in a new documentary out now called Workhorse Queen. Ed and I had some really wonderful conversations, especially about the way alcohol was threaded throughout his youth, his coming out years, and the years before MKD hit it big. After you give today's episode a listen, tag Mrs. Kasha Davis and let us know what your biggest takeaway was. Here we go. All right, Sober Stories family, I am so excited to welcome Ed Popel, also known as Mrs. Kasha Davis. Ed, thank you so much for joining us here on Sober Stories. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be here. This is wonderful. Beautiful. Well, we always kind of start off the podcast with just kind of an introduction of who you are, what you do. Obviously, we have an idea of what you do, um, but who you do life with, any of the, the high notes for our audience who is not familiar with you. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, my name is Ed Popel, and I am 51 years old. I am uh, approaching, God willing, one day at a mm. time, seven years sober on July Amazing. 13th of this summer. Mm. Thank you. And uh, it's just been an absolute rebirth and rejourney and refocus and reclarification of mm. life on every, every, every aspect. Mm. And I grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And I moved to Rochester after a divorce uh, from my ex-wife at the time, came out, found mm -hmm. a new life, and uh, ended up finding the man of my dreams. Mm -hmm. I have two wonderful stepchildren who are now mm -hmm. early 30s, late 20s. One's getting okay. married. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, and I, yeah. <laughs> and I work as a drag queen full time. I worked in a career for... 18 years working for Dial America, a call center, and I was the mm -hmm. uh, center manager, and I had a wonderful career there. And it was killing me. It was mm. time for me to, to follow my heart and follow my gut and do what I love, which is to perform. So that's mm. what I'm doing now, and I credit much of that to the uh, journey of sobriety to help me to really be in gratitude and in the moment where I just wasn't before. So mm. that's a quick synopsis, Yeah, but I'm sure we'll talk more. So that's, that's the gist. I love the gist. I love the high notes for folks who are unfamiliar with you. But since you mentioned it, let's dive in. Tell us about you and alcohol and the journey to become this sober version of who you are now and, and kind of what that looked like for you. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, I grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I grew up in the 70s and 80s. And ever since I was little, it was, oh, Eddie's light in the loafers. He's a fancy mm. fella. He's a fairy. And eventually words like, oh, he's a fag. Mm. And uh, some of these words were from my father, my grandfather, on my mom's side, really working to make sure I was a man. So that mm. being said, ever since I can ever remember, I just didn't fit in. I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't think I could ever be who I was. I had to always put on a sort of an act, which is no surprise that I gravitated to theater. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really start drinking early on in high school or you know, once. I think there was some one time we stole a bottle of wine and there was like eight of us thought we got drunk. Um, you know, which is <laughs> probably not impossible. <laughs> right. You know, probably not even possible. Mm -hmm. And then I and 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 of course I got into my early twenties in, in college and it really wasn't that until my marriage and I realized you know, when I, I married my high school sweetheart and I attempted mm. to come out to her a few times and she said things like, oh, you're just European. We'll deal with it. Oh. Well, okay. Uh -huh. What does that even mean? Well, we right. just didn't know what we didn't know. And, and I stayed in this marriage. And, uh, and so we both found our way out at one point or another. But the bottom line is I did find alcohol. I found Tangeray specifically. Mm. And the first DUI I had was on the day that my divorce was mentioned uh, or put in the newspaper. And again, it was this like this, this life of, I had to be in the closet. And so mm. I was uh, so ashamed and it was another, a, a level of exposure. And uh, my father got me out of it. It was U.S. Marshal. And I got mm. some kind of slap on the wrist. And, I, and, and everyone in the family was like, well, of course, Eddie drinks a lot. It's because he got a divorce. Mm. You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. fast forward, I come out. My parents said things like, you're not gay, um, you're, um, you're, uh, you're divorced. You just got divorced. You're sad from being divorced. And I was like, no, I'm gay. So my parents mm. disowned me. Uh, mm. I spent this, you know, it was true. You know, it was true. If I was to be myself, I was to be hated. And yeah. that was what I was seeing. 
And so I went and I found Rochester because of my career at the time. And I got into uh, the nightlife. Mm -hmm. And one thing after another, it was work long days and drink all night, almost seven days a week. And so this just continued and it became who I surrounded myself with, how I identified in the LGBTQ plus community. And I even, uh, as, as I go forward into my drag career, Mm-hmm. I per- portrayed a boozy housewife, and her catchphrase mm-hmm. was, there's always time for a cocktail. And it was funny. <laughs> I was going to ask about that. <laughs> yeah, and it was funny. And it worked, and it was a part of who I was, and my husband would get upset sometimes, but it just seems like I was able to manage it. I knew since the first sip of alcohol that I was an alcoholic because it changed. Mm. It freed me. It gave me some freedom mm. inside. The anxiety went away. But... The fact of the matter was, I was not managing anything. So fast forward to my second DUI. At that point, we had a friend who had been injured. We were doing a fundraiser. I got my second DUI. And of course, who wouldn't drink? Your friend got injured. You were doing a fundraiser. You were doing a wonderful thing for someone. And and we brushed it under the rug. Mm. Well, I get cast on RuPaul's Drag Race. And Mm -hmm. superstardom is in my head. I'm going to be a celebrity, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, This is what I've wanted since I was a kid. Well, there I was sitting at home and I wasn't getting bookings. Mm. And this air, airs on television. And my husband and I made a decision for me to leave my full-time career. I went from a very, very healthy salary and a 401k and all that jazz yeah. to zero dollars coming in. What did I do mm. to myself, to my family? Again, self-doubt, comparison, insecurity, anxiety. Right. And I drank and I drank mm. and I drank. And the third DUI happened at noon where I was swerving from children in my neighborhood. Well, my entire mm-hmm. life, all I ever wanted was to have a family and kids. And mm-hmm. here I'm potentially running over a child. Yeah. Dropped to my knees the next day when I was told what I did, because of course I was in a blackout and didn't know it. Right. And I just asked for help. I said, dear God, I will give up my husband. I will give up my children. I will give up a career. I will give up mm-hmm. everything in my life. Please help me. And I went into outpatient and was introduced to AA. And Mm -hmm. the minute I went into the rooms, I began to see people and hear my story and see my story. And the light bulb began to go off. And it's Mm. been an incredible journey ever since. And when we talk about things like the promises and the joys and the moments of gratitude and the, the fact that you can sit and just be in the moment and realize that that moment in itself is the gift, Yes, I can't. I can't ask for anything more. So there is the longer version. Mm. But uh, I'm definitely somebody who found my solace alone, drinking and driving. And and I know when I play that tape back, I know that what will happen if I have that one drink that you think you right. can have. Right. I know that in fact, at some point, it will be more, and I will do it alone, and I will drink and drive. Mm. And then we know what will happen next. You know, I've I've been taking a ton of notes because there's so many pieces of that that really stuck out to me. But the one I underlined was that it was able to be brushed under the rug over and over. And I think that that's a story that's going to really resonate with people of this idea of I knew it was a problem or it was showing up in my life in ways that weren't working for me, but we just brushed it under the rug or I just brushed it under the rug or my partner just brushed it under under the rug. So. What I also hear too is that things have changed for you since then. I mean, if you talk about no bookings and having left your job with the 401k and wondering what happened, tell us about what has happened since you got sober and how that has impacted your career. Well, first and foremost, the brush it under the rug is a wonderful thing to have taken note from because if you think about the world we live in, I'd say the entire world, everything is attached to adding alcohol to the celebration. Yes. And I didn't know how to not drink. I didn't know that you could have Mm. a fun, thriving, fabulous life without alcohol. I didn't Mm -hmm. know anyone that did. I thought you had to have a prescription to go to AA. (laughs) I didn't understand. I didn't understand. And I was celebrated for being the funny drunk. Mm. The, The one that said the things that everybody else wanted to say then ended up getting myself in trouble for the the, the mm-hmm. snappy mouth, etc. So it often gets brushed under a rug, not just by myself, but by others, because people don't want to look at their own, possibly, or that it's just, oh, well, that was one too many. 
Well, no, it was probably mm. one bottle too many. Yeah. Uh, or in my case, sometimes boxed wine. But it didn't matter. Mm. All of it was alcohol and all of it was a problem. But mm. since, since I began the journey and began, my arm says grateful. It was the mm. first tattoo I ever got. Because when mm. I learned the, the power of gratitude, I learned how to pray. I learned how to meditate. And I learned how to be in the moment. And I, mm. I, I credit not only the, the program, but I also credit my uh, outpatient and I credit my dog who mm. taught me how to be in the moment. You know, yes. pets, nature, these, these tools help us to realize what is truly meaningful in life. And mm. the more I began to find gratitude in those things, it just seemed that the universe said, that's what we want to give more. Mm. So the more I compared in the past when I was drinking and felt anxious and felt less than, the more less than I, it just gave, mm -hmm. it seemed as though that energy brought me more of that. And so now that I focus on, in on the gratitude and I focus in on being productive and I focus in on what I can do versus what others are doing, right. work has come. And also the more I tell the truth, mm. the God's honest truth about mm. whatever is happening, more people are recognizing and can sense the truth. You know, I used to teach at telemarketing that if an agent would sit down like this in their chair or if they weren't in dress code, they'd say, why do I have to be in dress code? Mm. Well, because you present yourself and you sound a different way. And, and why am I not making sales? Well, because you're exaggerating the offer or you're, you're lying about the offer. And I started to think about that in the idea of my presence on social media and in mm. interviews. If I'm not telling the truth, People can tell. We have mm. that ability to sense that in one another. If nothing else, we might say, mm, this doesn't feel right. And they might swipe on by. But when we tell the truth and when we're completely honest, it resonates. And it gets in this social media world, it doesn't get more likes. It gets the likes to love you. Mm. And when that happens, more opportunities become present. And uh, opportunities like this. I have, a, I have a tendency to say yes to pretty much as much <laughs> as I possibly can. I don't want to say everything, but yeah. I try to say yes to as much as possible because I just don't know who's listening. And mm. as you mentioned earlier, who it may resonate with to help them mm -hmm. and in turn find ways that could help me. So, mm. so I have been every year since putting down the drink gotten busier and busier mm -hmm. and more rewarding work that I didn't even realize I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a documentary about me called Workhorse Queen, and a lot of this is talked about in that documentary, and it starts on June 1st. It will be streaming on Stars or appearing on Stars, but it's on iTunes and Prime Video and Voodoo. Mm -hmm. But that opened up the idea of telling the truth. Yeah. And then the director had me look at the fact Stop looking to go on this tour or to perform with these other performers that you're comparing yourself with. You are doing a drag story hour for children in your community where hundreds of people, parents and children, mm -hmm. all come together and we read a book and we talk about positivity and kindness and gratitude and working hard. And so she was saying, you know, focus where your feet are. And again, that ties back mm. to so much of my recovery journey where I was looking outward, but it was right here. Yes. And, uh, we're negotiating with PBS right now to bring this four episodes that we've produced of a children's television show uh, to PBS. So again, it was right at my fingertips, right at my feet, but I was looking elsewhere and comparing and instead of being grateful and, 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 and realizing that it was right around me. Mm. I'm glad you brought up the, the children's story hour because I was going to ask you about that. I think that that is such a beautiful offering. And especially as we think about how disconnected we all came during the pandemic and this offering of telling these stories, of reading these books aloud. But one of the things that I heard you say is this idea of this kind of cyclical nature of where your energy is and where your focus is. So if you have this negative thought pattern, if you have these comparisons, you have this jealousy, or even with drinking, if you have these thoughts about yourself when you're drinking, then that kind of spirals into this vicious cycle. But same is true for the opposite. When we step into a different mindset, step into this, this present moment thinking or this gratitude, it's 
also cyclical. It also propels itself forward. So if you could summarize the change that you've experienced in who you were when you were drinking versus who you are now, what would you say the biggest takeaway has been? Hmm. Well, I think that I refilled my toolbox. I always felt mm-hmm. as somebody who was productive, I, ha- I had a toolbox and that toolbox mm-hmm. included alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. It was obvious. It was alcohol, whether it was celebrating or it was a, a, a scary time, an anxious time, mm-hmm. a stressful time, the solution was alcohol. And also jogging or working out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was never prayer or meditation. Mm. Very rarely. I had a, a good upbringing in that respect, but it just really sort of was sort of just, uh, I, I assumed that my higher power, God, would always be there. I didn't realize I needed to foster that relationship or mm. needed to just participate in that relationship. I just figured, mm. yeah, I know who God is or I know who my higher power is. And I'm very spiritual. I, I get it. Um, but I started to look at what I had been learning with regard to the, the toolbox. And I think in early sobriety, it, there's so many things thrown at you at and just the idea of just stopping is hard enough. And when people start talking about to the toolbox, it was overwhelming because I just didn't necessarily understand. But gratitude hit me first and I began journaling like crazy and, and, and just writing down. A, a, the minute I started to feel off, I would write a gratitude list. But then I began to understand that you to to share how you're feeling to specifically speak with another alcoholic or addict and then i began to realize the power of meeting that we are Mm. all connected you know you mentioned how story time uh is needed because during the pandemic it was a way to connect and and people are in in, even though we have so much technology people are begging for that connection one way or another Mm -hmm. and um we realize we we think that we're so separate with maybe thoughts ideas or politics or etc etc but truly, we are are always connected, and I have learned that I need to foster that connection. I need to mm. participate in that connection. And uh, these tools include back to the exercise, but getting out into nature and just breathing the fresh air and putting down your technology uh, for certain periods of time. So finding those tools was life saving, and that tool, one of my favorite tools. I joke. Uh, when I'm in meetings, this is the serenity prayer because, you know, my go-to was not just alcohol. My go-to was a, just a, oh, just a half a Xanax because mm-hmm. that would just take that edge off my, that anxiety that I suffered from. Mm-hmm. So the, that was, those were my tools, alcohol and Xanax. Well, guess who can't keep track once you start having right. uh, too much, any of us. Mm-hmm. And so you don't realize how many halves, et cetera. And so it would take my anxiety away. Yeah. And I'd pass out. Mm-hmm. But now the serenity prayer being a theater person, I can scream it. I can say mm. it out loud. I can write it down. I can say it in funny ways to make myself laugh. It'll go away again. Mm. This too shall pass. So that anxiety will, it will work just the same. Yeah. But as we learn, just not as fast. You know, sometimes, mm-hmm. yes. most times things don't happen as quickly as we would like, mm. but um, it will pass. And that is what I had learned is that that tool and it's funny and it's frustrating and I'll talk to mm-hmm. myself through it, you know, as I'm saying it, but it, it has, it has worked for me and you can find any mantra, no matter right. what you, what, whatever works for you. But a mantra like that is a, is a self-soothing thing that isn't, uh, you know, a chemical or mm. uh, other substances that we put into our body that we feel as though we need. And, and yeah, they worked until they didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like this idea of, um, taking something like the serenity prayer and using it differently. This idea of sometimes you want to scream it and sometimes you want to say (laughs) it in a British accent and sometimes you want to say it in a serious tone and using that to reflect your mood. But what you said about it doesn't work as fast is so key. I think that that's the really big thing that people miss when they first quit drinking is like they want everything to work as fast as alcohol and it's just not going to. And, and like on a chemistry level, on like a physiological level, we know that it's just not going to work that fast. But we make the active choice to use something else to use other tools. 
ever wake up in the morning determined that today is the day you quit drinking only to find yourself on the hunt for last minute wine by 5 p.m.? Not only is this such a common experience, it's actually really rooted in neuroscience and physiology, which is why I created The Booze Breakup, a program built to help you ditch alcohol in a way that feels good and actually sticks. It's jam-packed with community tools, theories, and resources from the last 10 years I've worked in the mental health field, combined with my nearly five years alcohol-free. If you're ready to get off the hamster wheel of forever day ones, you can save $50 off The Booze Breakup with code SOBERSTORIES at theboozebreakup.com. Talk to me about what his, one of the things I I wrote down before this interview was I was watching an interview with Mrs. Kasha Davis and uh, Trixie Mattel, who actually saw ACL last year. Wonderful show. But you made the joke. I realized I was allergic to alcohol every time I broke out in handcuffs or every time I drank, I broke out in handcuffs. And I know that this idea of alcohol and drinking was wrapped up in the identity of Mrs. Kasha Davis for a while. Your one one woman show was called um, There's Always Time for Our Cocktail. What has the evolution of Mrs. Kasha Davis's identity been in your own personal experience of sobriety? To this day, I get asked on our Cameo platform where we make videos for people, mm-hmm. personalized videos, to say there's always time for a cocktail because it's a fun statement. And then I also get uh, messages on Instagram where everybody shows me what they're drinking. So, you know, you get, mm. I've got myself, I got myself, oh my gosh. but they'll be, you know, and they'll send it to me. There's always time for a cocktail. Mm. And I, and I, I said it and I celebrated it and I was playing the, the part of the boozy housewife and um, people would ask me, so now what are you going to say? Sarcastically, they would ask, what are you going to say now? There's always time for mm. a mocktail. No, there's always time for kindness. Mm. You know, I am going to continue to say that phrase for people, but not for myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't need to, uh, I'm not in a situation where I have, as I said earlier, I would, would have been willing to leave performing totally and not perform in certain venues with alcohol. But I realized, you know, quickly that, that somehow I didn't look at it anymore. Mm. And if, I just didn't look at it. When I walked into a club, the bar would light up when I was drinking. It would sparkle. It would call me Mm. over. And I don't know where it is now. I don't think Mm. of it. I'm there to perform. I'm there to communicate a story. I'm there, hopefully, to help people see the possibility that they have in their life if they happen to be struggling with something or know others that are struggling and ways that we can help one another. So I find that Mrs. Kasha Davis has become more she was always a housewife, but she's more motherly now. And she's mm. just, as I mentioned earlier, she's open. She's honest. She tells the truth. She used to have a lot of time for a cocktail, but, uh, but now she realized that that was, that's no longer the case. And she's mm. willing to talk about it, but she's also, will, and she's willing to joke about it. <laughs> and those jokes and those conversations, I've had more people after a show, they could have been drinking during the show. They may quietly come up and tell me how much time they have in, in, on their sober journey, but others who said that, that I've inspired them to consider stopping mm. or to consider making some changes, if mm. nothing else. So again, back to the honesty, I think if I were to try to tell people what to do, well, that would be foolish yeah. because I would never listen to anybody that ever told me what to do. Right. But I can always be there to help if anyone asks and I can just share my truth. Mm. Well, and, and it's so relatable. It's so like you said, the honesty piece, it's something that somebody else can see themselves in. And that's really what we're doing here is, is sharing stories that somebody else can see themselves in. I also hear you say that the, the alcohol used to be the joy piece, but now when you walk into a club, it's the performance is, am I, am I on? Oh, absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. I, it, I, when I first started performing, you know, I went to school for theater mm-hmm. and, uh, I, was told I couldn't make a career in theater, specifically by my father. He said, you have to have a backup plan. That's not a very unrealistic thing to say to your child, but I just heard you can't. Uh, I didn't necessarily realize that that was good preparation uh, to to say that, you know, you're probably going to have to do something else too. At any rate, I went into this career of the call center work and I did find joy in it. it. Again, it was a way to help people. Many people that applied at the call center didn't have an education, didn't have a work history, and we were able to give them something to take 
and build a resume to go further. So that felt great. Mm. You know, I didn't really, and, and it was a very respectable, respectable call center in terms of what we were selling. It was very mm -hmm. ethical. Uh, call center work can be all over the board. Right. That being said, I was able to, I wasn't able to perform and I was mm. dying inside. I, I knew ever since I was little, I was meant to be on a stage. I knew what it did for my soul and I was denying it. And so the alcohol at one point was a, was a way to calm that anxiety down. Mm -hmm. But then I found the drag performances, which at the time were for Drag Race, RuPaul's Drag Race. It was all in a nightclub, all starting at midnight. Right. Well, it's all about drinking and drugs at that point. Okay. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I would go and get a, a, either work for tips and drinks or I'd get a low pay and tips and drinks. Mm. Well, I already had money. I didn't need to worry about, I had a career and my husband had a career. So it was extra fun money to put back into drag and I got all the free drinks. <laughs> and so I was doing it for the drinks and I'm driving home drunk every night or, or at least tipsy. What am I doing? And so even at one point, my husband had said like, we have jobs, like I can't do this. Well, I was able to go in at 11. I did 11 to seven. <sighs> you know, I, I was the director. I could change my schedule. Mm -hmm. It was constant hangovers every mm -hmm. day. And so I didn't drink at work. The majority of my career, it was towards the end when, it, when I was doing both drag after RuPaul's Drag Race and mm. this call center work. And my call center team, my the employers were saying, you're going to have to not go on that cruise. You're going to have to not go on that tour. Mm. And I was struggling, like, how do I leave this job? Right. And I did it with the support of my husband. But that being said, I started to realize, well, what am I? Who am I? Who's Mrs. Kasha Davis without the alcohol? And then I began to realize I'm so much more. Mm. I can go on stage and I can remember what I'm doing. I can go on stage and if I make a mistake, which we all do all the time, mm -hmm. doing everything, <laughs> I don't have to beat myself up if I missed a line or missed a lyric or didn't know so the next performer's name or, you know, I was telling my life story prior to getting sober and I was forgetting my life story. Who, mm. How is that happening? And I mean, mm. this is, of course... I wasn't having any memory issues, the medical memory issues. It was, it was abuse of alcohol. And so I was having these blank spots on stage, which would cause panic. And so I began to remember more of my own story. Mm. And I was able to look at my story in different ways. I was able to laugh at myself. I was able to celebrate. I was able to cry on stage. And all of these things that were opened up because I removed the alcohol, I mm. thought I needed it to tell the story or to even yeah. get in drag. And mm. it was so wrong. Well, I think there, that our creativity opens up too when alcohol is removed. We think that it's, there's this idea of like the tortured artist and they always have drinking problems and drug problems. And, and there's this idea in the arts as a whole that like you'll be better, more creative, more productive, have better outcome if you're, you're drinking. But I find every time I hear these people tell these stories and everything expands when the alcohol is removed. It's like we've opened up this new part of our brain. There's a connection, again, back to my spirituality. Mm -hmm. I don't hear voices. I feel an intu there's an intuitive feeling of if I'm writing lyrics for a song, if I'm writing in terms of a show, if I'm on stage and I can't think of what next to say, if I stay calm, the next right thing comes. Mm -hmm. and, it, and the more I trust it, the stronger it will come. So I have written children's books after doing so many story times, but in learning what works in the books and how to, mm -hmm. to do this. But again, that's the work. But mm -hmm. then when I sit quiet and in a meditative type state, this idea comes and I trust it and I follow it. And if I follow it and I write it down, inevitably it's right. And here's the thing. When I go and work with the lyricist or the, um, my accompanist, they'll think, well, have you thought of this? And I'm not so defensive yeah. now that I'm like, you know what? You're right. I'm open to other people's ideas again. Where I wasn't when I was drinking, I'd be like, no, I wrote this and it must be this <laughs> way. Okay, mm -hmm. ego. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I'm open to other people's suggestions and ideas and I'm able to say, you know what? I'm wrong or you may be right. Mm -hmm. And and then all of a sudden, something better happens. And I'm able to say thank you to a team of people instead of trying to take all the credit myself. So again, all of these things are things I knew, but that anxiety and that alcohol put me on such a defense, mm -hmm. even if I didn't think I was showing that defense, that I was 
definitely not as creative. And I feel like there's there's this closed nature versus the open nature that I hear you talking about, open, honest, creative, productive, like having this outflow of energy on stage. I think that so many people are afraid that they, when they quit drinking, it'll all be over, that it'll all end, their life will end. And then on the other side of it, there's just so much expansion. One of the things that I wanted to ask your your thoughts on today, and as we are stepping into Pride Month and your documentary on June 1st, which I wrote down because I will be catching that, can you talk to us more about how your experience and then also how you see alcohol impacting the queer community at large? What are your thoughts on that? I mentioned earlier that I was disowned, and I'm. Mm-hmm. It's mentioned in the in, in Workhorse Queen. I came out to my parents and my mother's response was dramatic. And, uh, you know, part of it was she was trying to make me laugh, but the other part, you know, it was tears and mm-hmm. yelling and I'll never accept this. And my father's response was to get close to my face in my eyes and spit in my face and told me mm-hmm. to get out of the house. Now, this man knew first mm-hmm. since I was a child. All he ever did was try to make me more masculine, more the man that was sharing his name and, and would tease me, you know, and say that I was acting like a fairy, him and my grandfather on my Mm -hmm. mom's side. But so I was like, seriously, like, I understand now that the effort was there to keep me safe Mm -hmm. because in that time there was not a lot of acceptance. Let's face Mm -hmm. the facts. I grew up in the eighties. We had the AIDS epidemic. People of ignorance thought gay meant die right you know that that was all there was and it was because of the fact that many gay men were dying right so of course my parents were afraid that that was going to happen Mm -hmm. and without you know really educating themselves that's what they believed Mm -hmm. i mean i literally remember my mother saying one time i don't want you to go to the gym because you might get aids from the treadmill what you know that's ridiculous And I, you know, of course I knew enough to say that, but that, ugh. so God rest both of their souls. I know that they tried to keep me safe, but this is not an uncommon theme. Mm-hmm. The LGBTQ community constantly has to fight to just be, mm. you know, some people will think, oh, we need to have straight pride or we need to have, mm. uh, everyone should celebrate, um, Yes, but you feel a level of hate. You feel you you can't ever be yourself. There's a high level of anxiety. It's difficult to find your tribe. And if you do, you're most likely going to be bullied starting in school, which is why I am so passionate about giving something to parents and their youth early Mm -hmm. on to show that you are you and that it that is wonderful. It should be celebrated. And that if somebody, if you don't identify as queer or gay, that if you happen to see somebody different in any way, shape, or form, yeah. our intuition, our, our, our next step should be to treat them with kindness. Because mm-hmm. people are struggling with many different things. So unfortunately, the LGBTQ community celebrates alcohol because... Yeah the place that we would go would be the nightclub. That was the, right. originally where I found my family. It was where I found my tribe. And so there aren't enough. There are more now. There are more places now. There's much more visibility. And every step of the way, you know, uh, more is being talked about. But I will still say no matter how much is on television, how many books are written, how many Instagram posts about celebrate and be yourself, you still have to come up to your closest loved ones and be honest with them. And that could be very scary. And so people turn to drugs and alcohol. Mm. And I don't necessarily think that that I don't know whether Mm. things like that will get better, but things like this, this conversation, this podcast that you're doing sober stories, sharing a solution will give anyone no matter how they identify some light at the end of the tunnel because as i mentioned earlier i thought i needed to prescri- I, I needed to get to the doctor and find out how i got <laughs> this help with a, a slip i didn't know that it was readily available mm. everywhere mm. 
Needed a referral to the rooms, right? <laughs> I needed a referral. I mean, I know that some people get to the rooms that way, but I, it just wasn't working. It wasn't happening mm-hmm. for me. So, um, yeah. So I am grateful to have the opportunity to be a guest on a podcast like this and to, to be as open and honest in my journey uh, mm-hmm. with regard to the documentary. I'm not ashamed to ever talk about any of the things that I've gone through because there's a, there's a hope that it will help somebody else. Yes. Yeah. I am definitely breaking my own anonymity, but mm. I believe that it helps. It helps. Yeah. The storytelling is so powerful. And so tell me about Pride Month. This idea of visibility, this idea of celebration, this idea of connection and community and being in this space. And as you said earlier about alcohol, you know, not being anonymous and and we can kind of bridge the gap between those two. What are you doing to celebrate this year? How are you celebrating Pride and doing so without alcohol? Well, I am excited to say that when I'm asked to do Pride uh, celebrations, I'm often asked to do the family day, the story, hour, the earlier show. Um, I think in the character that that I portray on stage, that's Mm -hmm. often uh, the go-to. And I'm so thrilled to do that. And uh, what I have noticed when I do story time is that some parents have come up to me and and the ones I'm, to be honest with you, most impressed with are the dads who say, thank you for showing me that there's a happy, healthy life beyond Mm. what I've seen. You know, Mm. the pride celebrations do indeed have a focus around you know, a festival and alcohol and, mm-hmm. and that is not unlike Christmas, St. Patrick's day mm. and mm-hmm. anything else that we celebrate. What we know is that alcohol somehow, some way has been attached to pretty much every celebration. Mm-hmm. So if we can be a sober story, if nothing else, a sober presence, Mm-hmm. You know, I don't necessarily have to do a, you can do this today without alcohol <laughs> yeah. versus just doing yeah. the event without alcohol. Mm. Um, being that example, people will notice just mm-hmm. like when they noticed when I used to think they didn't think I was an alcoholic, <laughs> you know, I was obviously an alcoholic uh, there. I can get not only my drinking and driving, but we can talk about a bazillion things that I did mm-hmm. that I shouldn't have been doing, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so the, the finger was pointed then. So people will take note. Wow. You know, Mrs. Kasha Davis is, was here all day and she was hosting the Pride event and she's sober. Mm-hmm. She hasn't had one drink. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, she's on time. She's, she's doing a great job. She's interacting with, you know, and those are my goals. When I do, attend these is to make sure that, you know, I'm as professional as possible and interactive and grateful. Mm-hmm. And so those things get remembered. Uh, I was I was working on a project, a very very big project. Um, I'll leave it all nameless, but the bottom line is, it was a big project. It was a big streaming network, and my cohorts at 11 a.m. were all other fellow performers, and they were drinking and drinking and drinking throughout the whole thing. Which I thought to myself, well, this is interesting. There was it's not even hard. We're just sitting here, and the the handler and the photographer all thanked me for not drinking. Hmm. And they don't know whether they know or not that I'm sober. They just noticed mm-hmm. that I didn't, that I wasn't acting like a fool. Right. Just right. because I'm a, 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 I have a, a name or I have a following mm-hmm. uh, that I thought I could, they can act this way or, or do this. And um, that to me is a wonderful example of, well, they may ask me back for more work, you know, Absolutely. simply for that reason, you know. So I don't know anything about these individuals, whether they're sober or not, but they noticed. <laughs> mm-hmm. So to me, I think it's, it's that example, whether it's at mm-hmm. the pride festivals that I will be the, the best that I can be in my sobriety, as well as, uh, you know, just continuing to make that presence on mm-hmm. social media as well. Well, it's, it's just modeling. It's, it's saying, look, you can have this glamour and you can have this success and you can have this. I don't know if you're doing a, a float or a stage or wherever you will be for pride, but say, I'm doing this without alcohol. And 
whether or not someone takes that invitation, whether or not somebody else sees that and can see themselves in it, it's modeling. And I can't even tell you how many people I've had over the years who have come up to me and said, hey, I saw the thing you posted on Instagram and now I don't drink anymore. (laughs) And it's like never in a million years would I have imagined that this person would see a random post on Instagram and then decide to change their relationship with alcohol. And, And many probably won't, but just even this idea of giving back in this way just by modeling and opening up possibility for somebody else. Right. The fact that it's possible, the fact that we'll still, we can stumble, we can make mistakes in our journey, uh, whether it's through our words or actions or even uh, even in a, re- in a relapse for mm-hmm. individuals. I mean, just being open, being uh, sharing the, those types of things, you know, and, and, and sharing it publicly is not for everyone. Just happens to work for me because I pretty much share everything. <laughs> it's like you <laughs> about said, though, it's my life it's, and my story. It's that truth and that honesty, right? And there's a lot of freedom in that. There is, and <laughs> uh, you know, I remember, unfortunately, when my mom was passing uh, and struggling prior to her passing with some medical stuff, she had this dramatic situation, and she held my hand and she said, "What did I do with my life?" And at the time I had still been drinking and I, I, I went into a major panic over that time and I used to have anxiety about death and I used to think to myself, what am I doing with my life? You know, I'm still at this call center job. I'm, I'm drinking, I'm hiding it. I'm constantly struggling and, and, and that whole thought process of I may not be drunk all the time, but I'm thinking about my next drunk. I'm yeah. hungover. I'm actively thinking about, you know, how I can hide my drinking. It was it, it just it was such a demon. It was constantly taking over everything. And I used to have these panic attacks about if I were to die today, mm. what am I leaving behind? What am I? Yes. I know that the, there are people that love me and that I've made contributions in my family's lives, but what is it? And now I know that if it were to happen, I can say he shared his truth. Mm. You know, and and I get a little teary-eyed thinking about the people that will share with me how that truth has helped them. And there's no better payment or reward in this mm-hmm. life. It's not a, it doesn't come in the form of a monetary. They don't send me a check. Right, right. You know, it's, it's just the fact that I can be there for someone in a way that I didn't feel what was there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's with the children's stories, but also with this you know, telling the truth about my sober drinking. Mm. The word I've heard throughout this conversation is kindness and the gift of giving kindness, whether or not it's on purpose or not, just this idea of being kind, of showing kindness, of teaching children, of teaching others to be kind. That's like, I get kind of a little bit like, got the little prickles on my face thinking about like, what do we leave behind? But we leave behind kindness. Yes. So the last question I ask every interview, and I'll let you answer this as Ed or as Mrs. Kasha Davis. If your story, the story of you and alcohol were to be written and not in a kid's book, but if your story were to be written, what would it be titled and what kind of book would it be? There's always time for a cocktail until there isn't. Um, (laughs) There's always time for a cocktail until there isn't. Beautiful. (laughs) I mean, that's it. I, yeah. I mean, because the phrase, first of all, the phrase is loved um, and uh, until there isn't. And let's mm-hmm. talk about the both. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. That's what first came to my mind. I love and it's it. so funny. Yeah. When you think about answer as Ed or answer as Mrs. Kasha Davis, I've realized more and more that Ed is always present. It just mm-hmm. so happens that when I'm dressed as Mrs. Kasha Davis, uh, it's like Ed with an exclamation point, you know, it's really like, a, you know, uh, a little bit more exaggerated, but it's, it's me. And, mm. uh, it's a, it's a part of me that I'm so grateful when I think about the sobriety journey, I've realized, you know, there was a part at one point where I thought, am I, am I trans? Do I, mm-hmm. if I'm professionally dressing as, as this female character. And, that, and I, I am not. I identify as Ed, he, mm-hmm. him. Uh, and when I'm dressed as Mrs. Kasha Davis, I'm she, her. Mm-hmm. But I started to think to myself, this is 
loving that little boy mm. who happened to be a little bit more feminine, mm -hmm. who happened to be a little bit more flamboyant. Mm -hmm. And Mrs. Kasha Davis is a celebration of all that is. Mm. Mm. Little love note to, to the younger version of yourself. Yes. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time, for your storytelling. I know that those who are not familiar with you and have not watched Drag Race are going to want to find you, connect with you, learn more about your story. So it sounds like you have your Workhorse Queen documentary coming out. Is it June 1st? It's June 1st on Stars, but you can also okay. find it on Prime Video, iTunes, Google Play, and Voodoo. Beautiful. And tell us about your children's books. I've got three children's books uh, that I've written, and the, the, the latest one is Has Anyone Said I Love You? Mm -hmm. And uh, it is a story about loving yourself. Mm -hmm. And in the end, it talks about uh, something that my mother taught me at a very young age. She would say, after you brush your teeth, you look into your own beautiful eyes and say, I love you, because when you love yourself, everything is possible. Mm -hmm. And you know, it really works with sober stories. It works with following your dreams. And Workhorse Queen is about that as well. It's, mm. it's realizing that uh, exactly who you are is who you're meant to be and, and who is meant to be celebrated and that uh, you're never too old to dream. Mm. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story. If folks want to follow you on social media, how do they connect with you? Mrs. Kasha Davis. I think I'm the only one out there, but uh, as far as I know, uh, so you can find me on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter oh, and Facebook mm. and all that. Yeah. Well, Mr. Davis handles the TikTok because okay. that, got one too, that was one too many for me. And I said, you uh -huh. know what? You're better at this. And sometimes Beautiful. he has me do things on there that I'm like, oh, goodness. <laughs> takes a village right <laughs> <laughs> exactly all right ed well thank you so much for your time today and for giving us your story thank you thank you so much for listening to sober stories with me beth bowen and our guest ed popel aka mrs kasha davis i left this interview with ed better than i came his kindness his empathy and his genuine desire to better the lives of the people he and mrs kasha davis meet is real and true. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you took a second to rate and review Sober Stories wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us tell more stories, reach more people, change more lives, one good review at a time. And if you had a big aha moment from today's show, we'd love it if you shared it with us on social media. You can find us at We Are Sober Stories on most platforms. Tag us so we can hear your big takeaways and you never know when we'll send a little thank you. I also want to thank our team here at Sober Stories, Alexis Archuleta on the mixing and podcast genius side, Callie Williams is our community engagement lead, Daniela Marty for our graphic design, and every single person who has a hand in what we are building. Until next week, my friends.